You're listening to For Eternity and Until, where together we uncover how to bring heaven to earth in our everyday choices and live the life we were created for. I'm your host, Tori May Hine, and I'm so glad you're here. Let's get this party started. You guys, I'm so excited. We get to talk about spiritual gifts today. Oh, we are out of the chapter after chapter after chapter of addressing the sin issues in the church in Corinth, and we get to get to the good stuff, which really is so important. Paul has very thoroughly addressed the things that he's asking this church to lay down. And now we get to fix our eyes forward and say, where are we going to go from here? And what do we need to pick up in order to live this calling of unity with the body of Christ? So today we're going to talk about spiritual gifts, what are spiritual gifts, what are their purposes, and um, what does it mean to be a part of a unified body and playing our essential role, embracing our specific God-given place in the body of Christ with honor and pride and all for the glory of God. I can't wait to dive in. Grab your Bibles. Chapter 12. Let's go. Chapter 12, verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols, however you were led. Therefore, I want you to understand that no one speaking in the spirit of God ever says Jesus is accursed. No one can say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. Now, there are varieties of gifts, but the same spirit. And there are varieties of service, but the same Lord, and there are varieties of activities, but it's the same God who empowers them all in everybody. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom, and to another the utterance of knowledge according to the same spirit, to another faith by the same spirit, to another gifts of healing by the one spirit, to another the working of miracles, to another prophecy, to another the ability to distinguish between spirits, to another various kinds of tongues, to another the interpretation of tongues. All these are empowered by one and the same spirit, who apportions to each one individually as he wills. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we were all baptized into one body, Jews or Greeks, slave or free, and all were made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. And if the ear would say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? 
As it is, there are many parts but one body. The eye can't say to the hand, I have no need of you. Nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on the parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the great honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty which our more presentable parts don't require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it, that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now, you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various kinds of tongues. Are all apostles? Are all prophets? Are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts, and I will show you still a more excellent way. Oh man, this chapter, reading it out loud, this whole week has given me the goosebumps. It's so beautiful to see this depiction of the body of Christ. When one suffers, would you suffer with the body of Christ? When one is honored, would you honor together? Hold that honor together. There's a lot of suffering in the body of Christ right now. And as I read through this chapter, I felt myself suffering with the body because we have broken parts of the body that have been fragmented, that have been hurt, that are diseased, that need mending, that need healing. And you, as the body of Christ, you with your spiritual gifts, are given the God-given ability to tend, to tend well to the hearts of man. Oh, we need to tend well. So it means that we need to know what gifts you and I have been given by God to edify the body, to do this work of unifying. Because you can't have unity if something is already one thing. Unity exists between two separate parts being joined together by something. And love is the bond that binds us all together in perfect unity. But we are separate while being one. And so unity requires a bonding. And in this different but the same. It's just like our body, our physical body that we, our souls are housed in, right? Is that we have many different parts of the body, but each one of them are essential. If you're listening to this podcast, you have been given an essential place in the body of Christ. You matter. Your gifts need to be used in the body. Your voice needs to be shared. Your story needs to be shared. You have the gift of healing. You have the gift of prophecy. You have the gift of teaching and knowledge or discernment. We need you to show up using these gifts, but the tragedy is that in the church right now, we're stifling or capitalizing spiritual gifts. 
These spiritual gifts are sometimes not used for the common good, but it's for selfish gain. Or we've so um, barricaded ourselves off from the gifts of the Holy Spirit because we're a little bit too freaked out by it and we can't measure it and people have used and abused these spiritual gifts in the past, so I'm not sure that I can trust this process. I've been there 100%. I understand where you're coming from, but yet we read in scripture here that Paul is saying, what can bring the solution or the remedy for the division of the church? The answer is the unifying life lived in God's spirit. The question of the cure for this moral failure and sin in the church, the answer is the unfailing love of God. What's the solution for these difficulties and this lack of order and fragmentation in the church? It's the empowerment and the practice of spiritual gifts. Let me share a little bit of my story around this because this hasn't always been a real easy topic for me to talk about because there was so fear, so much fear involved. But perfect love casts out fear because fear has to do with punishment. And I was afraid of using spiritual gifts to hurt other people or get it wrong or misuse and abuse the power of God. But the Holy Spirit has empowered us not just for our own salvation, but for the common good. That's what it says here in this chapter in verse 7. And yet, if you've been in the church a hot minute, you probably have a story where this was abused and where it was... um, where it's caused hurt in your story. And that's my story. I grew up in a Baptist church until I was around nine years old. And then we moved from California to Nevada for a church plant where we were part of a non-denominational church. And this non-denominational church did not teach or practice spiritual gifts. It didn't lean heavily into the Holy Spirit. It wasn't a Pentecostal upbringing that I was brought up in. It was very much milk. It was very much surface. And I remember getting to high school and just feeling this deep desire for deeper things. I'm like, I know the Bible verses. I know the Bible stories. I want the empowerment. I don't want to be merely human. I want to know what this whole thing is all about. I want the empowerment of God. I didn't know that at that time I couldn't put language around that, but I know now on the flip side that that's really what I was thirsting after. And then I met my husband. He comes from more of a Pentecostal background, a spiritually led background. And I went through a Lutheran school. And then when I went into college, I attended a black gospel church because I was like, I need something completely different from what I've grown up in. I was so curious. I still am about all the different denominations in the church. Um, And so Now, being in the season where I am, when I moved to Nashville, I understood that there was work and mending to be done in my relationship with the Holy Spirit. I felt really good with God the Father. I'm like, yep, we're cool. We can chill. Um, I felt really good about Jesus. Yes, I love Jesus. I know Jesus. I know what he's all about. But the Holy Spirit almost felt like this step weird uncle um, on the side. I'm like, I can't figure you out. It's like you show up different in every single church and I'm afraid of you a little bit. So when I came to Nashville five years ago, I knew that that was the next um, level of growth that I needed to grow in in my relationship with God. When Matt and I were just getting to know each other, it was right at the very end of my high school years. So I was probably around 18. And we went to a conference in Southern California where the leader said, we're barricading the doors 
Holy Spirit gave us a vision that the this room will be covered in oil and you're all going to experience the gifts of the Holy Spirit. And people were like stuck to the walls and wiggling down on the ground. And I was like absolutely 100% freaked out. I'm like, what's going to happen next? Are they going to pull out the, you know, Kool-Aid or what? Because this doesn't feel good. I remember coming back to my friend and sitting next to him, which now is my husband, Matt. And I was like, how do you feel about all of this? Because this really doesn't settle well in my spirit, which little did I know was um, the gift of discernment, which is a spiritual gift. We're going to talk about that in a second. And I remember Matt saying, don't allow the horizontal experience or relationships that you have in the church affect your vertical connection and relationship with God. Horizontal is always going to get weird. We're dealing with people and their their use and misuse of scripture and spiritual things. But God is the same yesterday, today, and forever. And so my husband was in the back corner in the middle of this prayer service reading his Bible, entering into the holy place, and knowing that even now in the midst of the chaos, he he could create peace, which little did he know, but he was practicing the spiritual gift of wisdom and knowledge and offering that to me, which brought me comfort and created intimacy in my relationship with God in a moment where I felt really afraid. I'll get into a little bit more about my story concerning other spiritual gifts in a second, but let's first address the fact that we all have the presence of the Holy Spirit. And the very first thing that Paul says in this chapter is that concerning spiritual gifts, that he doesn't want us to be uninformed. So if you've grown up in a church where you have been uninformed about spiritual gifts, Paul's literally saying to these people, I do not want you to be uninformed. Why? Because you know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. It doesn't matter how you got there, but you were worshiping dead stone. You were worshiping dead things. If you go about in your in your everyday life as a believer, being uninformed, it's going to lead to mute idols. It's going to lead to fabrication. So he's like, in verse three, I want you to understand. I want you to understand. First off, is that nobody by the Spirit of God says that Jesus is accursed. No one can even say Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. So Paul's addressing the fact that you can't even come to faith in Jesus without the presence of the Holy Spirit in you already. It's God himself that draws us in. He initiates it. He gives us the gift of faith. It says in Ephesians 2 that that faith is a gift from God. And then he empowers us by his spirit to walk forward in unity with him because of what he did on the cross and how he's empowered us with his living spirit within us. So the presence of the Holy Spirit is there upon the moment of salvation. But then there's a separate moment where you are baptized in the Holy Spirit. This actually happened in Acts chapter 2. You can go and read this for the disciples where they were empowered with the Holy Spirit. They believed in God. They believed that Jesus was who he said that he was, but they were empowered by him in Acts chapter 2 where the Holy Spirit came and dwelt within them. And then you saw everything explode. The church exploded. They were speaking in tongues. They were ministering healing. There were works of miracles and the church church grew. But each of these disciples received a manifestation of the Holy Spirit in different ways. There was a variety happening. Unity does not necessarily mean uniformity. We see this in the body of Christ, right? We don't, he says it later on in this chapter, it's not a body full of eyes. Where would the sense of hearing be? 
but there is unity even in the diversity of how the Holy Spirit administers gifts. So it says in verse four that there's a variety of gifts, but the same spirit, a variety of service, but the same Lord. There's a variety of activities, but the same God. So when he's addressing God, he uses three words, spirit, Lord, and God. We serve a triune God, Father God, Son, Jesus, Holy Spirit. So the same Spirit, the same Lord, that's Jesus, the same God, Father God. And there's a variety. There's a variety of gifts. There's a variety of service. There's a variety of activities. The gift is what the Holy Spirit empowers you to do. The service is how you live that out. And the action is how we behave and use it in our everyday lives. So there's a variety of how this whole thing plays out, but it's the same God. And it says something really key here in verse six, just in case you think that you don't have a gift in the Holy Spirit. It says that it's the same God who empowers them all in everyone, everyone, not some. So there's a difference in temperament and personality and gifts and a different way that we live it out. But every single one of you listening to this podcast, every person walking on the planet um, who believes in Jesus empowered by the Holy Spirit has been given one of these gifts by the Holy Spirit. Now, verse 7, it says, To each one is given the manifestation of the Spirit for the common good. So here we hear the purpose. The purpose is not so that you can be more holy and better than your brother sitting next to you um, on the row at church. Oh my gosh, I'm so much more holy than him because I speak in tongues. It's so apparent that I'm so awesome. No, this isn't a hierarchy in the kingdom of God. Get down off your high horse. God gives these gifts to everybody for the purpose of the common good. It's to edify the body. It's to bring unity to the body. It's to live out the call to love, loving God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength, and loving each other as ourselves. So now he starts laying out a series of spiritual gifts, and we're going to list them off. So the first one is For to one is given through the Spirit the utterance of wisdom. Now, the gift of wisdom, remember that it's the foolish things that confound the wise. The more foolish you are, the more wise you are. And so um, this is not a wisdom of intelligence or our own ability in ourselves, but a wisdom that comes directly from God, understanding who God is, understanding what his word says, and then discerning. So it's not just head knowledge, but it's faith in action because we know faith without works is dead. So wisdom begins, the proverb says, with the fear of the Lord. It's always submitted underneath his lordship and it's always lived out for the purpose of proclaiming the word of God over every situation. So utterance of wisdom to another, the utterance of knowledge. Now, knowledge is understanding scripture and it's an assurance of faith. There's some people who really are able to read and discern through scripture and teach it and share it and dis- and distribute it <laughs> to others who don't carry that gift as much, it's okay. If you're somebody who you're like, man, this podcast has really helped me a lot because for the first time I'm really understanding scripture. Well, great. You know why? It's because I'm living in my spiritual gift. I'm really glad that you're edified. This is given to you for the common good. It's not because 
Tori's better at something than you. It's because this is one of the gifts of the Holy Spirit that um, that God has given to me and that I want to use to edify the body. If you open up scripture and you're like, gosh, I don't even know what this is talking about. Remember what it says at the end of this chapter, that you are to desire the... Um, earnestly desire the higher gifts. So if you lack knowledge, if you lack wisdom, bank in on that on that promise in James chapter 1 that says that you can ask God for wisdom and if you ask him in faith without doubting that he gives wisdom generously and without a grudge. Hallelujah. Thank you Jesus. It's going to require a further emptying of yourself and This is actually, I think, the key thing that um, we have to be warned of in the spiritual gift because I've seen so many of my very, very brilliant and bright brothers and sisters leave the faith because they stopped relying on the wisdom and the knowledge of God and they started searching for it as a source within themselves and it got them confused. They started breaking things down and dissecting it and then pulling it apart and trying to reason and wrap their human minds around concepts that are so much bigger than what they're capable of understanding. And in the end, they ended up forfeiting their faith because they couldn't fully wrap their knowledge around it. And that's just foolishness. Remember that it's the foolish things that confound the wise. It's the ones that are willing to say, it's not about me knowing everything. It's actually about me having an intimate relationship with God himself, an earnest desire to hunger and thirst after righteousness. And, you know, when Jesus said that in the Beatitudes, he said, the blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness because they will be filled. So if you're hungering and thirsting after righteousness, you're hungering and thirsting after knowledge of God, and you desperately want to have this understanding and knowledge when it comes to reading God's word, I encourage you press in and keep asking God for that gift. Keep seeking his face, keep opening your Bible. And that's never going to turn back void. The Holy Spirit is going to grow you and mature you and bring perseverance and clarity around his word. And he's going to speak to you because he promises that he will. So believe him for that. Okay. Moving on to the next one. Um, According to the same spirit, to another, the gift of faith. Do you, don't you just have one of those friends? Maybe it's come, somebody is coming to mind right now who really has the spiritual gift of faith. You could just think that the world is absolutely over, but then you spend like two minutes in this person's presence and they're reaffirming um, the character of God. Really, the gift of faith, remember what it says in Hebrews that faith is the evidence of things hoped for, the things that are unseen. So this is not... Um, reminding somebody of the reality that they're already walking in, but it's believing for something that they haven't seen yet because they're so deeply rooted in the consistent character of God to show up faithfully in the past. The people who have the gift of faith really have an intimate relationship with God himself, and they pour that out into the atmosphere and over the circumstances in their life. So to another faith by the same spirit, to another gift of healing 
by one spirit. And I know personally a few people who have the gift of healing. I actually think that my son Micaiah has the gift of healing because there's been multiple times where he's laid hands and then just simply said a prayer. Like there was one day where he went to church and he said a prayer from one of his teachers who was having some severe knee issues. She was on like medicine and stuff for it. And Micaiah just put his hands on her knees and just said, pain be gone in the name of Jesus. And the pain was gone. And the teacher actually pulled me aside after after class and was like, "It's it was amazing. Micaiah prayed for me today and my knee pain is gone. And Micaiah's like, well, that's what the Holy Spirit does, right? We can ask him to heal and he's a healer. <laughs> now, this is, this is the spiritual gift that has been most misused and abused in the church. And so it needs to be said right now that we all know the people that we, I have a few people that are coming to mind who had immense faith and intimate walks with the Lord who endured cancer or diabetes or issues with their autoimmune system or various other diseases And they were prayed for and they didn't experience physical healing yet, or they didn't see a miracle on this side of heaven, but then died and the miracle of eternal life was really the answer of prayer. What I'll say is that that doesn't discount the fact that this is still a spiritual gift. It's still in scripture listed as something that we can earnestly ask God for and desire But with every gift that we're given, it comes a greater responsibility. Each one of these gifts comes with a greater level of responsibility. So when you ask God for an increase in a gift in his spirit, when you ask him for an increase for, you know, the gift of healing, then you better believe that you're probably going to face some disease, whether it's in the lives of the people around you or probably, you know, in your own body, maybe. Um, And so when we ask God for wisdom or for knowledge or any of these things, we have to know that it's always going to come with a sacrifice of praise on our behalf, because that's the way that God works. It's the way that he refines us. It's the way that he grows us from glory to glory. So don't when when you see a misuse of the gift of healing and when it's capitalized and when it comes with some sort of a power trip, engage that gift of discernment and engage the gift of wisdom and engage the gift of knowledge and um, ask Holy Spirit what you're supposed to do about that. But that doesn't mean we don't pray. It doesn't mean that we don't pray. It doesn't mean that we don't believe that God is our healer and that he's fashioned our bodies together and that he can work healing together for his purpose and for his will. Ask him for it. And if you have that gift of healing, then ask the Holy Spirit, what do I need to do to walk forward in it? Really, you probably should start getting praying for people. without the fear that it's that God's not going to come through like cast that fear to the side and just say God's given me this gift and I'm going to believe in faith and I'm going to pray in faith and I'm going to be faithful steward of the gift that God's given me verse 10 to another the working of miracles and the working of miracles is the work of the supernatural I remember being in El Salvador for one of the times I was there for two summers for about a month. And um, there was a time where the woman who ran the orphanage was explaining to us just all of the various supernatural 
works of provision that she had seen and prayed for and believed for. And she had testimony after testimony after testimony. And the thing about the working of miracles as the gift of the spirit here in the United States is that we put so much faith in science and in our technology and in our knowledge and our understanding that it almost removes us from the need of the working in the supernatural. But then you step outside of the confines of our communities and our culture, and then you step into the shoes of a woman who's praying for her 400 orphans to still have electricity the next day. And then she gets a knock at the door and a $1,500 check to pay for her electricity bill. She knows what it means to engage her spiritual gift of the working of miracles. She knows that she can get down on her knees and pray to a God who is alive, who knows her needs and is ready to meet those needs in the supernatural and in the physical. And so, you know, I, I don't know if you've ever taken a trip outside the country, but just know that there's there's a supernatural need in our communities around us right now. We don't just need a diagnosis and a medicine. It's all good. Praise the Lord for science and brains that work amazing, so much higher than my brain. <laughs> but I mean, we need to desire the working in the spirit, in the supernatural and engage that and and fast and pray and ask God for an increase in it because he always wants to reveal his glory in and through us. The next gift is the gift of prophecy. And prophecy is not so much foretelling the future as it is foretelling the present. Prophecy is the gift of knowing God's word. It's engaging the gift of knowledge and wisdom, but then applying it to a specific person or circumstance. So it's it's preaching God's word over a circumstance. Now, you know, we've seen so many false prophets, even just in recent times, who um, they get things wrong. And, um, you know, there's I'm, I can't judge their hearts, but the people that are out on the side of the street, like the end of the world is coming in the year 2000 and then 2000 comes and goes, you know, this isn't about foretelling the future. It's about engaging the word of God in the lives of people in that moment, in the here and now. The gift of prophecy is such a beautiful gift for edifying the body of Christ. It makes the word come alive to the person in the midst of their need and their circumstance. The next one, it says, to another, the ability to distinguish between spirits. And this is the gift of discernment, the gift of knowing what is right and what is wrong. There's a fantastic book that I read earlier this year all about this gift specifically that was written by James Gall. It was called The Discerner, and I loved it. Absolutely highly recommend it. We need more people um, using the gift of discernment because many people have discernment, but then they don't engage discernment. For a long time, this gift is one where I would see in hindsight, oh, yeah, I felt that weird thing about that circumstance, but I didn't say anything or, um, you know, oh, I walked into that room and all I needed to do was just get in the presence of this person and I just felt something was off. If you're listening to this and you're like, oh, that's totally me. I know that I I have discernment. Well, it's not just feeling discernment, but then it's asking the Holy Spirit, what do I do about this discernment that you're giving to me? Because it's only, if it's only stays silent within yourself, then it's not being used for the common good. And Paul's explaining to us that that's the whole purpose of these spiritual gifts. And now we finally come to the gift of tongues and to 
the gift of interpretation of tongues. This is always the one that gets people. It's always the one that freaks people out, at least in America. It's not really what freaks people out in any other part of the world because they're more used to the spiritual and the supernatural. But, um, you know, this has also been a spiritual gift that has been misused and used in a way where it's almost a tool to... Uh, distinguish the condition of the of a human heart and their holiness you know like well do you speak in tongues well if you don't then you probably don't ha- you haven't been baptized in the holy spirit but remember what it says in verse 11 right after this it says that all these are empowered by one and the same spirit who apportions to each one individually as he wills god is the gift giver and he gets to s- decide whether to withhold or bestow a gift of the Holy Spirit according to his will. Now, in my life, at towards the end of high school, I was telling you this story earlier when I was sitting with Matt and people were wiggling on the floor and everyone's like, you need to speak in tongues, watermelon, watermelon, watermelon. And I'm like, oh my gosh, this is super weird and I'm really freaked out. Well, guess what? That actually led to a decision in my life, a very key decision actually was the change in the decision of where I was going to go to college. And I actually do believe that that decision actually shaped my ability to be able to be here on this podcast and sharing scripture with you because it wasn't what I was deeply desiring or even the gift that I needed in that season. And God used this moment of confusion and fear to redirect me. And God's so good in that, that he never Never, ever, ever lets anything be wasted. I wasn't ready to hold that gift. I didn't need that gift in that moment. Well, I needed it later in life. When after we moved to Nevada, or sorry, we moved to Nashville. Uh, very shortly after, we went through some pretty extreme stuff in our personal life. We had some um, some sad things happen with intimate friendships, and that led to a lot of grief and a lot of sorrow. And I remember being at my church at The Belonging, and they were uh, preaching on spiritual gifts. And um, our pastor, Alex, just said simply, God only gives good gifts. And if you desire greater intimacy with him, then ask him. And if it's his will, then he will give you these gifts because it's for the edification of your spirit. It's for intimacy. It's not about you. It's about him. So just simply ask, what are you afraid of? And so I sat in the, in the um, room and I just said, God, if you want to give me any gift of the Holy Spirit, if you want to give me tongues, if you want to give me a greater level of, of wisdom, whatever it is, Father, I want it. I just want more of you. I need more of you in this season. And it was a few days later that I was, I put my son down for a nap and we were living up at this little 700 square foot cabin that had this beautiful grass that circled it and no neighbors nearby at the time. And so I put my son down for a nap one afternoon and it was a particularly really, really grievous day. And I got out of the house and I started circling my house, just like Mark Batterson said in his book, Draw the Circle. I started circling and I started praying and I started proclaiming the word of God over the circumstance that we were walking through. And um, as I was praying, I started running out of English words to say, and the spirit just overcame me and I started speaking 
speaking and praying in tongues. It was like my spirit knew what I was saying. I knew what I was saying on the inside, but it was coming out in a spiritual language on the outside. And it was such a beautiful gift because I was just by myself. And um, now it's a gift that I have to practice. It's now my heart was open to it. God gave it to me in a season when I really needed it and when I was ready for it. And then I've, I've been able to grow it and to engage in it in the same way that I engage in the gift of prophecy or in the same way that I engage in the gift of knowledge or wisdom. It's available to us. And when the word says to earnestly desire the higher gifts, I took that as my own mandate to desire it and to live it and to position my heart and my life in a way where I was ready to receive it when God willed it. So if you're in a place where you've been really damaged by this, these the, um, any misuse of any of these spiritual gifts, just remember verse 11 in chapter 12 that all these are empowered by one and the same spirit and he apportions to each one individually and it's according to his will. And now we're going to read about the body of many members. <laughs> oh, I love this part portion of scripture. I've read it over and over and over again this week and it gives me chills every single time because this is what God desires from his church right now. This is what you and I are given the calling to create with the power of the Holy Spirit. Verse 12, it says, for just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of the body, though many are one body as it is with Christ, for in one spirit, we were all baptized into one body. So Jews and Greeks, slaves and free, we were all made to drink in one spirit. Remember last week when he was talking about uh, the Lord's Supper, that eating the bread and drinking the cup and the baptism that's involved in like going down into the grave and raising up into new life. We've all been baptized into this new life. We've been given a new covenant in Christ and in his body and in his blood. So we've partaken in Christ and then now it's bridged every single gap, Jews and Greeks. So we're bridging cultural gaps. We're bridging racial gaps, slaves or free. We're bridging economic barriers. We're bridging class barriers. We're bridging um, social classes and categories and cliques. And all those things are done away with. We're made new. We're given one body. And verse 14 says, for the body does not consist of one member, but of many. So if the foot should say, I'm not a hand, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the ear should say, because I'm not an eye, I don't belong to the body, that would not make it any less part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? And as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them, as he chose. He chose you for a specific place in the body. Just because you're not the worship leader or the pastor or the teacher or the podcaster or the blogger or the mom or the dad or you name any title that you could hold, any part of the body that you could hold. If I am not that, then I am not as worthy or I don't have a place here, or I don't belong here, you're hearing straight from this scripture is a lie from the enemy. That's not the word of God. He's told you that you've been given a place. And will you choose to embrace the place where you are? He's chosen to place you there.
It says in verse 19 that if all were a single member, then where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, but one. This is this idea of unity. It's many parts being unified by the blood and body of Jesus, by the love, the sacrifice of Jesus. So that means that, verse 21, the eye can't say to the hand that I have no need of you. And we, the foot can't say to, or the head can't say to the foot, I have no need of you. We can't say that to each other. We need each other. We don't all have the same spiritual gifts. We don't all have the same place. We have all been assigned by a divine and all-knowing God. And he's asked us, will you embrace your place? Will you embrace this place in a season, in a hidden season where you're home with your babies? Will you embrace this place in a mundane job and look around you and ask God, how do you want me to embrace this place so that you can move me from this place to the next one? God always has intention. Now, the body of Christ isn't necessarily like you You fit one role, and that's the role that you always fit. That's the thing, is that my ear will always be an ear. So this metaphor, um, you know, can be stretched a little bit that, like, God can create transforming power in your life. He's, he's all in the business of transforming and renewing your mind. Um, so that we can decipher his will. And so it might look different in the future, but it really does hinge on your obedience to embrace the place that you're in right now and glorify God with it and hold it and um, with pride and with excitement of the fact that God is using you for expounding his kingdom. He's using you according to his will. Verse 22 says, on the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. So if you might feel weak and insignificant, God is calling you indispensable. And on those parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the greater honor. And our unpresentable parts are treated with greater modesty, which our more presentable parts don't require. So my hair and my eyes and my face get a lot more um, playtime and like they're seen by other people than my spleen or my kidneys. But I am so glad I've got working a working spleen and I've got working kidneys. <laughs> they are essential. Have you ever like stubbed your toe and you're like, wow, I literally, this affects everything in my life right now because it's in so much pain. God has so composed the body giving great honor to the part that lacked it, it says in verse 24. So he's composed the body to recognize the need and the hurt of any part of the body where um, health is lacking. Verse 25, why? Why has he created it this way? It's that there would be no division in the body. There would be no division. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. And that's the verse that just stood, like jumped off the page to me this week as I was reading it, because we have a lot of suffering members of our body right now. Will we choose to suffer with them? And when they're honored, and when any part of the body is honored, will we all rejoice together? We need to cultivate a a spirit of honor in our church. But instead, what we have is a spirit of competition. We're measuring one another up. And that only breeds division. But what would it look like if we suffered with, if we honored with? That would breed unity. Verse 27. Now, you are the body of Christ. You, 
listening to this podcast, you are the body of Christ. We are the, we physically hold the presence of God in us. It's such a mystery. I don't understand it. I don't know why God created it this way, but this is what he's done. This is his will. We are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church, and he starts uh, listing off kind of as a summary. This is These are the titles of the people who hold the spiritual gifts that we uh, listed at the very beginning of this chapter. So um, he lists them off here. First apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering, and various gifts and tongues. So apostles and prophets and teachers. And then he lists the gifts, healing, helping, administering various types of tongues. Um, Again, he asks, are all apostles? The answer is no. Are all prophets, are all teachers, are, do all do miracles? Do all possess the gifts of healing? No. Do all speak in tongues? Do all interpret? No. We can't all do the same things. We can't all do all the functions. We need the body of Christ. But verse 31 says, but earnestly desire the higher gifts. You're not always going to have everything. Not, ev- not any one person is going to possess every single gift and have everything within themselves that it's going to take in order to be the full body of Christ. We're individual members and parts of a greater thing. But he gives us the mandate to earnestly desire the higher gifts. Do you earnestly desire spiritual gifts or do they freak you out? Are you afraid of the responsibility? Are you afraid of what it will cost you? Are you afraid of the risk? Are you afraid of getting it wrong? Are you afraid of succeeding and what it might mean in the responsibility on the other side of seeing God move in and through your giftings? Well, remember that the greater and more excellent way, this is the way that he ends this um, this chapter is, I will show you the more excellent way. And next week, we're going to talk about the way of love. Perfect love casts out all of this fear. When we're rooted and working and living from a place of love in our spiritual gifts, then there's no fear necessary because we're entrusting ourselves wholly to the one who judges righteously and to the one who is authoring and perfecting our faith. There's no fear necessary there because if we get it wrong, (laughs) we can... We can hinge on a God that never fails. Um, When we stumble and when we slip and when we can't figure out our words and when we read something wrong and when we need to learn something new, we're being taught and led and empowered by a perfect, all-knowing, omniscient, holy, good, and loving God. And he's going to empower us toward this greater work. I can't wait to talk about this way of love next week. I'll talk to you soon. Hey, thanks so much for listening. If you have a second, leave a review or post a comment here on the podcast page. It helps this podcast to be seen by other people so we can spread this message far and wide. I cannot wait until next week and I'll talk to you soon.